Hello, how we doing, Princeton? Yeah, good to see you. It's been a while. I, uh, Pastor Jim's going to be away on uh, his anniversary this weekend, and he had checked in and said, need somebody to preach at Princeton, and I said, can I do it so they know I'm still around every now and then? Uh, man, it's been quite an honor for me. I've been preaching in, at the Goldsboro location for the last month. I don't know if you've even noticed that I'm gone, but um, I've been gone a little bit. Hadn't Valerie done a great job? I'm telling you. She's been fantastic. Absolutely. How about the worship team? First Sunday, we got Ricky here. Man, he did a fantastic job, but I just want to say this. I was watching the worship team, and, and I know Pastor Jared, his last Sunday was, I believe, the last Sunday in September, something like that. So it's been several months, because you don't want to rush in putting someone in that position. Has our worship team not done an outstanding job? Chris Stanley back there helping us lead, man. God bless you. Jane, Shattuck, Lisa, see now I'm naming names and I'm going to get in all kind of trouble. Bill, all the band, I'm telling you, you guys just step up and make it happen and we are just so blessed guys, I'm telling you, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted because the minute you do, I'll be playing the guitar, okay? And then you're going to go, oh no, we can't do that. Um... But it's so good to see you here. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Andy Stovall. I am the pastor of Congregational Life here at the Bridge in Princeton. I also work with the small groups and all kinds of stuff. But I am so, so happy to be here this morning. It's so good to see my Princeton people. I love you guys. God bless you so much. We are in week three of a sermon series entitled... That's right. Nope. Not today. And I'm going to tell you something. When, when the media guys got here this morning, he was already messing. All right? And they had to say, nope, not today. We talked about who the devil was in our first uh, sermon of this series, who he was. He, he, uh, and I know it was a little bit different here uh, a couple of weeks ago, but one of the things we brought out is that he is a decided fact. He is a destructive force, and he is a defeated foe. Amen and amen. Uh, and and uh, we've been looking at uh, the, this whole idea of, of, of pleasure and, and, and today we're going to be looking at possessions and how many of you would agree with me this morning that we are a nation consumed with consuming? We're consumed with it. The average American, now this is staggering, spends $1,300 for every $1,000 they have in income. Can anybody collectively with me go? <laughs> that, that don't make no sense, okay? That's crazy. Do you know any people whose outgo exceeds their input? You know, maybe one, maybe two, maybe 50, I don't know. There's an interesting thing that happens now in, in the world that we live in. Bodybuilders, if you're into bodybuilding, all my bodybuilders are, you know, Clearly, I'm not. Um, they would call that overwork. An electrician would call that overload. Bankers would call that overdraft. Politicians, what's the problem? 
no big deal. <clears throat> and it gets worse all the time, all right? In 1980, uh, the average American family's debt was 21%. In 2000, it was 50%. In 2010, 62.5% debt. And it's only going up. Too many lives are characterized by getting more, more luxuries, more money, more success, more gizmos, a bigger house, and, and, and things are, that we already have, no matter how wonderful they are, they pale when compared to the thing we might get next. We just got to get that next thing, right? And what do we do when we get that next thing? We want the next thing. Because somebody, after I get the new thing, the brand new iPhone 29, it is awesome, it is the best. <sighs> you know when they introduced that thing six months earlier, they already came out with its replacement. And somebody's got it. And you don't. Well, we all know there's a problem. And see, there's such a big problem, I went right into my high-pitched voice out of the gate so sorry about that we know there's a problem the question is how did we get here and what do we do about it if you have your phones with you today you can go on the bridge nc app and you can look up uh, notes on the app go to the princeton location click notes and you will find the notes for the sermon for the day here but in this series note not today satan we have been looking at uh, the schemes or the tricks of the devil. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but, but is of the world. Last week we looked at pleasure. We talked about pleasure. And, and, and I laid this out last week and I said, You know, uh, be, having things that make you happy aren't bad. Let me say this having possessions aren't bad. If, you, if you've been successful and, and you have a beach house and you have a big boat and, and you can go fishing out into salt water and you know you got a, a fine car, and none of those things are bad. I will gladly use your beach house on the weekend, okay? They're not bad. They aren't in and of themselves. It's when they become a god. It's when they become more important than anything else in our lives. So last week we talked about pleasure. Today we're going to look at possessions. Today we're looking at possessions. Materialism may be another way that we say that. But materialism is when the allure of things leads us to live above our means. Materialism is not about how much stuff you have. It's about how much your stuff has you. Ephesians 6.10 says, and this is one of the key verses in this series, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you may stand against the schemes. Some uh, translations say the tricks of the devil. Satan has schemes, but God has what? Great power. Now, week by week, we're going to look at these schemes. And on March the 1st, we're calling this Break Through, or Break Free, rather, Sunday. And, and we're going to break free from these things. The lies that the enemy has told us to make us think, if we'll have all of these things, then somehow we'll be happy. 
somehow will be fulfilled. Somehow, all the stuff we've been longing for, we will find it in that. See, when materialism, when it comes to materialism, the statistics suggest that there is a huge problem. Why do I always seem to want more? What motivates me to spend myself into debt? What keeps me from being satisfied with what I have? And the short answer is this. And it's not in your notes, but if you want to jot it down, it's called the myth of more. The myth of more. And here's what the myth of more says. Number one, having more things will make me happier. If I can just get it, I'll finally be happier. Uh, Howard Hughes, considering that he was a billionaire in the early 1900s, he is still considered the richest person in modern history. He was into aeronautics, he was into a whole bunch of stuff. And a reporter asked him one day, said, how much money is enough? Do you know his answer? Just a little bit more. How much is enough? A little bit more. Now, I joke with my wife. I like guns. I like to buy them. I like to trade them. I shoot them rarely. I mostly just look at them. I don't know why I even have them, but I, I just, it's a hobby. And I've always said that to her. She just looks at me. She says, you have two hands. How many guns are enough? One more. You know, it's just a hobby. But here's the truth. The truth is things can bring us happiness for a very brief period of time. It's just like sin. It's temporary. You get the gift you've been waiting for for a long time. You're so happy. You're so excited. And then it fades. And here's why it does. Because we change. Things don't. We change. We get that thing, man, we just had to have it, and it's, oh, yeah. You know they put new car smell in used cars. I bought a four-year-old car several years ago, and I got in it, and I was like, it's like new. Nobody's ever driven it. It's a lie, okay? It just smelled like it was new. Somebody had wore that thing out before I got to it. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? How many of you remember Andy Rooney? Andy Rooney used to be on 60 Minutes. He always gave this little talk at the end, little 60-second thing, and he said, having enough money is nowhere near as much fun as I thought it would be when I didn't have any. Another person said, when I first started working, I dreamed of the day that I would earn the salary that I am now starving on. $1,300 to 1000 Mm. stuff can make us happy but it's temporary number two the myth of more second myth having more things will make me more important if I have more stuff I'll be more important if I have money I'll be important if I own things my valuables will determine my value 
So since I want to be liked and respected, I have to keep getting more and more and more. I got to keep up with the Joneses. Can I tell you the truth about the Joneses? They refinance, okay? (laughs) They get that letter in the mail and say, you have this much equity. Now is the perfect time to refinance and get some cash out and you're like, yes, I can get some more money and you do it and then you go, why did I do that? I took two steps forward and four steps back instead of just waiting and saving for that thing. Here's what we do. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I'm not the first person to say that. You've heard that before. But that's what we do, isn't it? And here's what Jesus says in Luke 12. In verse 15, Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Make sure your self-esteem is based on what Jesus says and not what other people say about you or about the things you need to have, okay? My wife is a firm believer that if you can't get it at TJ Maxx, you don't need to wear it. If I go to the mall and I don't find a sale, she's mad at me for a week, okay? Third myth of more. Having more will make me more secure. No doubt you've heard, if I could just achieve financial independence, if I could win, anybody ever heard, if I could just win the lottery? I could win the lottery, I'd have all this money, and man, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. And the exact opposite is true, isn't it? The more you have... The more insecure we tend to be because why? If you have more, you got more to lose. If you have more, you have to spend more time uh, maintaining it. If you have more money, then you have to pay more to insure it or or, or more things, you have to pay more to insure it. And, And you have to worry about if it gets stolen. So having more doesn't always mean that, man, everything's gonna be great. And again, I'm not preaching against having more. But what we are talking about is perspective. What we are talking about is priority. And what we are talking about this morning is lordship. Proverbs 18 verse 11 uh, says this. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. When wealth is put in its wrong place, we wrongly think that it is a wall too high to scale and it will protect us. Proverbs 23 verse 4 says this, don't wear yourselves out trying to get rich. Wealth can vanish in the wink of an eye. It can seem to grow wings. Real security can only be found in something that cannot be taken. And it is this, Romans 8 beginning in verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death 
nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing takes precedence over him. He blesses us to bless others. That's what he does. That's security. So how do we get it? we got to let go of the myth of more. And we have to embrace the truth. See, the myth of more, and I know you guys noticed this, but the wall has grown today, right? The myth of more puts a wall between me and God. It puts a wall between me and others because I'm building this thing up and I'm thinking that pleasure and I'm thinking that possession are the things that make me happy. And so I'm going after and going after and I'm neglecting everything and every relationship that I have that gets in the way of me getting more pleasure and more possession. And every time I do that, the wall gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it separates me from the relationship that God wants to have with me. So what do we do? We embrace the truth, and that is that our security is in Christ. Job, the wealthiest man of his day, lost it all, and he said it bluntly in Job 31, beginning in verse 24. He said, I have put my trust in gold and said to pure gold, or if I have rather, you are my security. If so, then these also would be sins to be judged for I would have been unfaithful to God on high. Here's what he's saying. I'm denying God if I stake my happiness, my value, my security in anything other than him. What do I stake my value? What do I stake my security? What do I stake my happiness in, my joy in? It comes from him. Husbands, wives, your joy, your happiness does not come from your spouse. Stop looking for it in them. It isn't where you find it. It's in the Lord. It comes from him. Stop putting what God is supposed to do in your life on your spouse. Why do I say that? Because more and more people come in my office and tell me I'm not happy with Dodo Bird over here, okay? <clears throat> not their job. Not your job. Nobody's ever called <laughs> their spouse a Dodo Bird in my office. But anyway, just felt right. I don't know. Here's the truth. Your God is whatever or whoever you put your trust in. So, how do we do this? How do we break the grip of materialism? Because that's what we're talking about here today. We're talking about taking a good thing, a blessing from God. How many of you have had a financial blessing in your life? You've been successful in your career, you know, all those things. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've poured into my life. Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with that, okay? That's the way we need to respond to that. We need to be thankful for that. And he wants to bless us with good things. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to swing so far over here that 
All of our life is about getting that thing, having the next, the newest, the best, the most, just a little bit more. So how do we break that? There are three commitments that you need to make. Three commitments. The first one, I will resist comparing. I will resist comparing. Don't do it. Galatians 6.4, each person should judge his own actions and not compare himself to others. It's my son in here. I didn't plan on telling this story. But when my daughter was about four years old, my wife went to the store and bought a little bikini for her to go on vacation. Cute little thing. She actually got her two. One, I think, was floral. I don't really remember. The other one was, was silver and glittery and shiny. So I'm out in the backyard, and I'm cutting grass, and I'm working. I'm doing all, you know, whatever I was doing. And, and my daughter comes out, and she shows me her bikini. Look, Daddy, look. I, you know, ready to go to Florida or wherever we were going. Oh, that looks great. I stopped the, the lawnmower, and I just got down. You look so great. And I cranked the lawnmower back up and I started again and I see my wife waving. Hey, hey, stop, stop again. Somebody wants to show you something. So I stop and I'm like, man, she's coming back. She's got something else she's going to show me. And my son walks out the door, two years old, with a silver glittery bikini on. <laughs> Look, Daddy, I'm pity, I'm pity. Don't compare. <laughs> don't, don't do it. I'm like, get that off of that boy. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, he's going to be so mad that I told that story. <laughs> it's just too good not to tell. Oh, the only way to overcome this scheme is to stop comparing. Let me tell you something. I didn't compare in high school. I drove a 1982 diesel Chevrolet Chevette. Yeah, y'all didn't even know they made them here, did you? No. They don't. It was shipped over. I don't know. But anyway, I drove that thing in high school. You know why my parents... They, they said, look, you got to go to work, got a kid in college, you're in high school, sorry, you're the middle kid, you're going to have to, you know, do whatever, and we'll see what we can get you. Bought the car. You know the great thing about having, owning a 1982 diesel Chevrolet Chevette? It's only up from there, okay? You know... <laughs> Yeah, anything I've ever had has been better than my first car, okay? It's just, it's been great. So, uh, <laughs> took that thing to the metal recycling. Now, this is no joke now. My uncle was a car salesman, got that car for $1,000. Y'all are thinking you paid that much for it? Um, <laughs> $1,000 for this car. I took it six months ago. I'm not, this is not a lie. I took it to the metal recycling place, got $130 for the car. It had been sitting in some guy's backyard in the woods forever. And uh, I, I did the math. I made money driving that car. I, I made money. It was awesome. 
First Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It doesn't say money is evil. Money actually is neutral. It's not good or bad. Some of the most godly men in the Bible were the wealthiest. But if your desire to acquire is out of control, watch out. Watch out. Amen. I shared that story about my car with you guys so you can look at your kids now at lunch and say, don't feel bad about what you got. <laughs> Pastor Andy had a Chevette and you don't even know what that is. <laughs> Number two, how do we break the grip of materialism? I will rejoice in what I have. If you aren't grateful for what you have got, you won't be grateful for what you get. If we're not grateful for what we have right now, we won't be thankful when we get something else. I'm telling you, drive a Chevette for a few years. Anything will make you grateful, okay? I've had bicycles nicer than that car. Um, Hebrews 13, 5, keep yourselves, your lives rather, free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Be free from the love of money because we have him. and He will meet and provide our every need. And I know it isn't easy. Contentment doesn't come naturally. It is a developed character trait to be thankful for what we have, to look at what we got, to, to not continually look around and say, well, okay, we got that, but now I got to get this, and now I got to, and just be thankful for what you have. Two keys to contentment, desire less. Desire less. For many, it's not a problem of earnings. It's a problem of yearnings. And number two, we need to learn to manage what we have. If you've not taken advantage of I was broke, now I'm not, you need to get in that group that meets on Wednesday night. Every dollar has a name. And when that dollar is, that named dollar is spent, guess what you do? You wait till another one replaces it before you spend it again. Do you know how people spend $1,300? Dollars to the thousand they bring into their house because they pull out their wallet and they pull out a piece of plastic and they put it on the table and they've got a hundred in their pocket and they're going to spend 50 there and here's what we always promise ourselves I'll take some of that 50 and I'll pay that off and we never do we need to manage better we need to do plastic surgery if necessary Okay, I'm telling you, cut them up, pay them off, live with cash. I'm telling you, they, people will think you're a weirdo because you have money in your wallet, but you will be free from that burden, okay? God made possessions. I want you to hear this right here now. God made possessions to be used, not loved. God made people to be loved, not used. If you love money, you will find yourself using 
people. Be careful. Don't fall into that trap. God wants us to walk and live in contentment. To avoid that trap, we have to resist comparing. We have to rejoice in what we have. And lastly, number three, we return to God what is his. Deuteronomy 14, 23. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord, your God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. The purpose of the tithe is to put God first and keep him first in your life. The anecdote to materialism, giving, generosity, trusting God. I'm telling you, I know what my 10% is every month. I trust God a whole, whole lot more than I do that 10%. It can be gone just like that. But he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That is the truth that we just learned. We cannot afford not to put God first because we need God supernaturally involved in our money. Anybody ever had God supernaturally involved in your money and when you got done with whatever that thing was he was involved in, you were like, oh my goodness, I don't know how in the world, why, when, where that happened, but God, I know you were in it and I know you did it and I am thankful for it and I will always keep Keep you involved in it. Amen. Woo. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in your house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And pour out so much blessing you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. See, there's two things he promises us in that passage of Scripture. He promises blessing and protection. He says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing so much that you will not have enough room for it and pests will not come in and devour what you have. But our temptation oftentimes is in difficult and hard economic times, we hold back. We don't give. We do the opposite of that. True living begins with giving. Satan doesn't want us to know that. He doesn't want you to know that the anecdote to materialism is generosity. It's not an equal gift. It's equal sacrifice. Every time you tithe, every time you give to missions, every time you give in, to a benevolence ministry, you are having victory over materialism. Generosity will give you that victory because it helps you keep perspective. The other thing that it does is it shifts our focus to eternal values. See, we can have, I am thankful for the blessings of God in my life. I'm thankful I didn't walk to church today. I rode in a car and thank the Lord this morning the heat worked, all right? It was warm. It was comfortable. There was gas in the tank. Thankful for all those things. But Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We don't belong here. We're pilgrims here. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
If you get that, you find yourself holding on to stuff a lot more loosely. I tell you, I see this every day. I'm encouraged to do this every single week that I come to this church and do and walk out the calling that God has placed on my life. I preached three funerals this week between Thursday and Saturday. We are not here to stay forever. We better be eternally minded. I love what James Dobson says about this. He says, I have concluded that the accumulation of wealth, even if I could achieve it, is an insufficient reason for living. When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look back on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses, land, stocks, and bonds. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, consistent investment in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can look and see those things. I often say to people and tell families our heart's desire should be to make this world a little bit better because we're in it. To be a blessing to someone else. To be an encouragement to someone else. To pick someone else up when they're down and out. If all it is, because a materialistic life is a selfish life. It's a life that, that says it's all about me and what, what I can get. And the Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's the commitment that I'm, I pray that you'll make during this series. I pray that we will commit to seek the truth. And, and this is for me too. Let, let me say something here. Every time I stand in this platform and I preach from this stage, it's me first. God is wearing me out in some areas of my life. We need to seek the truth. We need to believe the truth and then we need to live the truth. I was given a book at Christmas entitled the ripple or the butterfly effect I mean it basically is about the ripple effect you know the butterfly effect you've heard of that um, guy came up with this theory and he was laughed at in the scientific community and now it actually is a scientific law it's been adopted and the whole idea of the butterfly effect, effect is that a, a butterfly can flap its wings on one part of the world and stir up all of these air molecules and I don't know how it all works but the idea is that it can actually create a tsunami in another part of the world I'm not a student of the butterfly effect but here's what I do know 
there's a law of sowing and reaping. And God says, when I pour out my life, I will reap what I sow out. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, when it comes to this notion of materialism, when it comes to possession being our God, is that we put that on the altar of God and say, Lord, there is only one master in my life. I'm going to serve you and I'm going to honor you with my life and I'm going to sow good seed in the world that I live in so that a harvest that has an eternal reward, that has an eternal return, will be reaped. I don't want to just think about what's right here in front of me right now, but I want to consider eternity, not just for myself, but for others. I've been driving up to the top of this hill on this little piece of property in Princeton, North Carolina for 25 years. I've given my life to the ministry of the gospel right here. Not because it's the only place it's going on. We got wonderful churches in our community and I thank God for each and every one of them. But where God's called me to be is right here. He called me to take a step of faith and to trust Him. For 25 years, I've heard my mom say, there are people in Georgia who need Jesus. Can't you move back here? For 25 years, God has said, this is where I want you. He called me to take a step of faith. And every day that I do it, or every day that I get up, He calls me to take another, and another, and another. And today, He's calling us to take a step of faith. He's calling us to trust Him. To say and commit to sowing good seed. Sowing seed of truth. Sowing seeds of generosity. Sowing seeds that let the world know that my God is not the stuff I have. But his name is Jesus. And I'd love for you to know him. I'd love for you to trust him. Because moth and rust... And time will destroy everything else, but it will not take Jesus from you. Greatest thing my dad ever gave me was a knowledge of Jesus Christ and an encouragement to trust Him. He's not here anymore. But every day I get up 
and I seek the face of Almighty God. My dad's right there. Because I'm reminded of what he poured into my life. What are you pouring into someone else's life? That's our challenge. Living the truth is about pouring into others. For some of us today, we got to take that first step. You know, I told you, I took a step. It was a very long 400-mile step from Georgia to Princeton, North Carolina. But I took that step and trusted God. And God's calling you to take a step. Maybe you're here today and He's calling you to take a step for the very first time just toward Him. To trust Him with your life. For others, He's calling you to take a step. He's calling you to trust Him. For some, it's in the area of generosity. For others, it may be a step toward forgiveness. It may be a a step toward uh, uh, relational forgiveness where you look at someone else who has wronged you and God is saying, "You you need to be the first one to move. I know, I could, but God, and we make every excuse why we can't and why they should because they wronged me first. And then God says, I don't care about any of that. I'm calling you to take a step toward me when we forgive others we are taking another step closer to him so with every head bowed and every eye closed what step is God calling you to take what wall have you built up that God is fully ready and able and capable of tearing down. He's just waiting on you to trust him with it. What is it? Would you trust him today? For those that are here this morning who have never made a decision to follow Christ, I pray that you would say yes to him today. you would stop believing the lie of the enemy who has only come to steal, kill and destroy you and that you would trust and say yes to the God of heaven who sent his only son to die for you so that you could know forgiveness, freedom liberty would you say yes to him today? For those that are here that have already made a commitment to Jesus, God is calling you to take a step today. Will you trust Him with your life? Will you trust Him with your possessions? Will you say, God, I will go where you ask me to go. I will will do what you've called me to do. And I will hold on loosely to everything you've given me because it all belongs to you anyway. Lord, If it's all the stuff I got or it's you, Lord Jesus, I choose Jesus every time. We choose you today, Lord. As we walk out of this place, God, help us honor you with our lives. Let us walk in faithfulness to you, God, trusting you in manners that we never have before. 
being obedient to you in every area of our life. Pray it in Jesus' name.